You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your host, Vanessa Weisbrod. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. And I want to start out by saying a huge thank you to all of our dedicated listeners. And I want to welcome my very special co-host to the studio today, Sandy Werness from the Global Autoimmune Institute. Welcome, Sandy. Hey, Vanessa. Today's topic is about the recent headlines that we have a drug for celiac disease. Results of a new phase two clinical trial using technology developed at Northwestern University showed that it is possible to induce immune tolerance to gluten in people with celiac disease. The researchers suggest that their findings may pave the way for treated celiac patients to eventually tolerate gluten in their diet. As I'm saying these words out loud, I can hear our listeners around the world cheering for joy that there may be a magic pill to take that will allow them to eat gluten. But is it really the case? Well, we hope so, don't we? To help us better understand what this new drug is and how it may help patients with celiac disease, we have the wonderful Dr. Jocelyn Sylvester from Boston Children's Hospital in the studio. Dr. Sylvester is a leading celiac disease research expert researcher and expert in the United States and Canada, and one of our favorite podcast guests and people. Welcome, Jocelyn. Thank you. It's great to join you. (laughs) To start out, Dr. Sylvester, can you please tell us some basics about this new drug? Who's making it? it What is its name? How did it get started? Yes. So this drug has two names. It was initially called Tympglia, and it's now called CPT-101, and it is made by a company called Coor Pharma, which Mm -hmm. is based in Chicago. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're calling this drug a nanoparticle that acts like a Trojan horse, to quote the release. What on earth does this mean in terms of protecting celiac patients from gluten? Well, that's a very good question. It brings out a really important point. This is actually not a pill. It's an injection. Okay. And so how this works is there's nanoparticles and they're loaded with gluten. And then when they're injected into the bloodstream, they go to the spleen and then they reprogram the immune system so that your immune system doesn't attack gluten anymore. Okay. So it's sort of like a Trojan horse going to the spleen and then changing how the T-cells work. How can it, how can it do that? How, do, how can it train the body's immune system to tolerate gluten? Is it like an army inside of our bodies teaching our guts how to digest gluten? No, actually, it's really interesting because it actually works entirely on the immune system. And so what happens is the immune system has two jobs. One is to recognize things that are foreign and invading, and another is to recognize yourself and that yourself is safe. And so one of the places that it sees yourself is the spleen. And what's really special about these particles is that because of their size and because of their charge, they get taken up by a type of cells called monocytes, and then they go to the spleen. And so then the gluten gets seen in the spleen, and when you see gluten in the spleen, you think it's yourself, and so then you don't react to it anymore. Oh my gosh, that's a miracle. So for our listeners that don't understand how the body works, celiac happens in our bellies and we eat gluten and it causes problems in our gut. How does the spleen have anything to do with that? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. And so the spleen is important because celiac disease is an immune disease and the type of cell, immune cell that's involved is a T cell. And these T cells travel through the blood throughout the body. And so the T cells, when they recognize gluten in the gut, that's what causes celiac disease. And so... 
because these T cells are traveling around, they also can see the spleen. So if they see gluten in the spleen, then they think it's safe. Whereas if they see it in the, in the gut, then they may start to attack. Interesting. Huh. So, so tell us about the trial that was hmm. just presented at the conference in Barcelona. What were the patients given? How was the drug administered? And what did the drug actually do? So this was something called a phase two trial. So this is still a very early phase trial. There's phase one, which is really looking to see, is the drug safe? Phase two, which is looking to get the very first inkling of, you know, we've tested this in animals. Is it going to work in humans? And then there's phase three, which is testing it in lots of people for a specific reason to see if it helps. And so this particular trial involved patients with celiac disease who were well-controlled on a gluten-free diet. And they had a biopsy at the beginning to see how their intestine was, and it had to be healed. And then they had two injections of the drug. And then after that, they did a gluten challenge for two weeks, and then they had another biopsy. There was other blood tests along the way because what they were looking for specifically in this trial was how did the blood cells react when these patients started eating gluten. So like all studies, in order to know what the drug is doing, you have to know what's happening to the patients who don't get the drug. So half the patients got the drug and half the patients got placebo. So we could see what happens to patients who just eat gluten and what happens to patients who get the drug and then eat gluten. But they all had celiac disease. Yes. Okay. I have a couple of questions. One is, um, first of all, of course, what was the difference and how did, how did the, what were the results? But also, is two weeks long enough for the gut to be damaged um, upon exposure to gluten? Yes. So it's very interesting because it really matters. That's, that's part of the question because one of the things is, is it long enough? And the other thing, is it enough gluten? And so the amount of gluten mm -hmm. that these patients had was quite high. So for the first three days, they had 12 grams, which is really at the upper limit of what somebody who eats gluten in their diet would eat. So this is like oh. Italian pasta lover, pizza eating levels of gluten. And then they cut it down to six grams for the rest of the challenge, just because it's such a lot of gluten. And even six grams is, is at least as much as people who eat gluten are eating daily. I see. So the bottom line in this, in this phase two trial is that even while eating gluten, the patient or the, the participants had no immunological damage, right? Um, and how did, how did they see that? How could they tell? And what kind of symptoms did they have? Did they react or did they think they reacted to eating gluten? So that's a good question. I'll actually ask the last, answer the last question first. So you asked about symptoms, and this is very early phase results. So this is something that was recorded at a meeting in Europe, the uh, United European Gastroenterology Week conference. And so they actually didn't record on symptoms. They reported on two of the things they measured in the trial. When you design a trial, what you're really trying to design the trial for is something called the primary outcome, which is really the big number one question you're asking in the study. And in this study, the number one outcome was, after we give these people gluten, do we see an increase in their blood of the T cells that react to gluten? And so the primary outcome was actually looking in the blood at gluten-reactive T cells. And they found that there was no significant change in the group that got the drug, but there was an increase in these cells in the group that didn't get the drug, and so they just added gluten to their gluten-free diet. So that was the primary outcome, and that one met the statistical criteria, and definitely there was an absolute difference between the drug group and the placebo group. The secondary outcome was to look at the histology. Because remember, we said they took a biopsy at the beginning and at the end. And this one almost met significance, but the study wasn't powered for this. So what they saw was that there was a difference in the villus height and how, how tall the villi were in the group that got gluten, but the one that got the drug, it was practically the same. 
and it wasn't quite what we call statistically significant, but that was really because it was a smaller study because it was a phase two study. And, we, and the investigators knew when they designed the study that they didn't have enough people to necessarily be able to see for sure, which is why it wasn't the primary outcome and it was a secondary outcome. But either way, very promising because it shows not only that the immune effect they were looking for was helping, but if we look at actual damage to the intestine, it looks like there's a signal that it's useful there too. That's incredible. How many people were in the study? I don't remember. I think it was somewhere around 30. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think 17 got the drug. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And so what about symptoms? Did uh, people think they were reacting to uh, having gluten? And was there a difference between the control group and the placebo group? So we don't know. That hasn't been reported yet. So um, the trial was actually finished very recently. Mm -hmm. And so this was actually presented as what's called a late breaking abstract, which is when people have really exciting stuff that they want to get out of the conference because they just want to tell the world about it. Mm -hmm. And so I expect we're going to be hearing more of this study because we're really just getting the really high level headline results and all the details are going to be coming out later. I think that'll be really interesting to hear. And I'm actually glad they reported it the way that they did, because I think often you think so much about symptoms, but not necessarily about what happens within the body because you just assume that you eat gluten and you get sick. And I think we've seen that like with Bob Anderson's study and with some of the other, um, the Mayo Clinic study with that Amanda did that everybody thinks that if they get gluten, they're having symptoms, even those that aren't actually eating gluten. So I'm curious to see what the symptom reports are and if you know the group that got the drug didn't report them or if everybody reported them, even there was though there wasn't damage happening. Very important. Very so important. We shall say. Yeah. So we, so we so, oh, so we talk a lot about study findings, but not often about the people behind the research. Can you tell us about them? Who are the people who developed this drug and those that worked on the trial? Help our listeners know who they are. So this drug was um, developed by Steve Miller, who's actually works in the laboratory and actually really did the early work in mice. And this is a really good example of why it's really important to fund research, not only to look at drugs, but really fundamental research looking at how the body works. So what Dr. Miller did in his lab was he was really interested in this whole idea of tolerance, which is how does your body know that your body is safe and how does it know that other things are in the environment are safe? Because most of the time we don't react to our foods. And so in his studies of tolerance, he discovered these microparticles that seemed to be able to deliver tolerance. And then, being a really smart guy, he realized that he could translate that and maybe use it to treat autoimmune diseases. So what's really exciting about this drug is that it's a, it's a new type of drug, and celiac disease is just the first autoimmune disease they're studying. And so there's reason to think that potentially you could use the same sort of technology in other autoimmune diseases where we know what the target antigen is, such as, say, you know, multiple sclerosis, where we can use myelin basic protein. And so the basic science really came out of Dr. Miller's lab at Northwestern. And then the, um, when, once the drug had been developed, it was um, Tobias Freitag who did some of the work in mice as well. And then the um, actual trials have really been led um, by Dr. Joe Murray at Mayo and Dr. Kieran Kelly um, at the Beth Israel in Boston. Oh. And so they had a key role. They're very experienced clinical investigators in celiac disease who actually have been involved in many of the landmark trials in celiac disease. And so they had the key role in designing the trial, and a lot of the patients were actually seen at Mayo. Is this going to relate in any way to peanut allergies because uh, there were all the, the uh, clinical trials testing and uh, attempting to develop or create tolerance in 
uh, children with peanut allergies? Is this a sort of an analogous to that as well? That's a great question. And this is actually, even though it's a, an immune system reaction to food, it's a different type of reaction mm-hmm. because in food allergy, it's an antibody. In food allergy, it's an antibody-mediated IgE type antibody, whereas in celiac disease, it's cell-mediated or T cells. So even though it's an immune reaction to food, it's actually a different mechanism and a different type of reaction. So it's probably less applicable to food allergy, but it's more applicable to the autoimmune diseases. So even you know, consider type one diabetes, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Well. That's wonderful. Jocelyn, um, obviously this one small trial isn't going to get this drug into our local CVS or doctor's offices. So what do you see that might be next for this drug? So what's really exciting about this drug is that Takeda Pharmaceuticals, which is one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world and has a lot of drugs in the gastroenterology space, has actually licensed this medication, which means that they're actually committing to this drug And they're also committing to doing more trials so that we can do bigger studies and get a better idea of how this drug works. So this is really exciting for celiac disease for two reasons. One, we have a drug that looks good in phase two, which is always exciting. And because it's our first suggestion that this might be something that is effective in humans. Mm -hmm. And two, that we have a major pharmaceutical company that thinks it's worthwhile to invest in celiac disease. That's, so, a huge, that's a huge step, isn't it? It's a Boy. really big step. Boy, there are mountains that are being climbed. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. It would have been hard to think, imagine that this would be happening even five years ago. It's mm-hmm. amazing the progress we're making in celiac disease. Mm-hmm. I remember the day this came out and you sent me a text message and in like all caps and exclamation points, we have a drug. <laughs> <laughs> I want to like take a screenshot of that and frame it for mm-hmm. you to look back on someday. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I think it's very exciting and it's important to be excited, but it's also really important to remember that most drugs, even if they do well in phase two, don't look as good in phase three, and many of these drugs can still fail and not work for patients. So I don't really want to be a party pooper, but I think it's important to remember that just because it looks good in the first study doesn't mean when we look in more people and dig a little bit deeper, it won't be as promising. So I think we need to be hopeful, we need to be supportive, and certainly if you get the opportunity to participate in trials for this drug, I would strongly encourage you if you qualify, because this is the only way we're going to figure out if this drug works. So this was, as we've talked about, a very, very small study, but the overall reaction online has been so positive and happy and just jumping for joy that there might be this treatment available soon. Have your patients been asking you about it in clinic, and are you counseling them that you know they should always be thinking about their gluten-free diet and the gluten-free diet is forever, or do you think that in five to ten years we might not need the gluten-free diet anymore? I think I'm more hopeful that we'll have an alternative to the gluten-free diet than I've been at any time. I think that in addition to this drug, there's other things that are in the pipeline with different companies, which is exciting because it means there's a critical mass because you need dozens of drugs to get one that's going to be successful. I also think that this is a really important drug because other drugs we've had studies of have been drugs that are to, you know, help you if you get a little bit of gluten exposure and not as an absolute alternative to a gluten-free diet. And so I think there's definitely reason to be excited. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for this interesting discussion, Dr. Sylvester. You've really helped us to better understand this new drug as a potential treatment for celiac disease. And we just can't wait. The future is looking wonderful. Thank you very much. It's an exciting time for celiac disease, and I'm hopeful that there's going to be lots more to talk about. Well, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Bye.